Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Let's do it. I'm stirring my cup of tea with my pen because they're an oh now it's fi- the pen didn't have a bottom on it and well, now it all the tea's gone inside it. Somehow, how did the tea get in there? It's sealed at the bottom. I'll have to drain it. Okay, <laughs> good. Okay, well that's good. The only other thing that will happen regarding this cup of tea is that I'll have to squeeze the tea bag. Oh, da, 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 da. Do you want to do it now? Yeah, I okay. Better. Um, well, I'm get letting it out of the way. You know, I don't understand people who who stand there with a teaspoon and go and push the tea bag around. No, I take you, the tea bag out always before I drink it. Yeah, but do you let it? So, so I put it in. I put the milk in, and then I like to let it sit for a minute until a brown stain forms around the tea bag. Then I take it out so that the flavour gets in. I use two tea bags. Yeah, because you're in a hurry. You're so impatient. Yeah. Um, I always use two yeah. tea bags. I don't have time. Why don't you just buy the strong tea? I don't know. Because I, I don't know. There. Done. Okay. Paper towels. Quick tea. story. Um, right. Yes. Just regarding tea. So I had to bring back this thing from London called a TVU, and it's pretty much a TV satellite truck in a box that's kind of the size of maybe two shoeboxes stacked up on, on each other. That's annoying. It's okay. so annoying. <laughs> I can't describe to you how annoying it is. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't any other way I could get out of it. I had to bring it back. I had to be the fucker that brought it back. Anyway, so when you bring back professional goods, which yeah. is what it is, you have to have this whole – you have this document and you have to present – the item and the document when you come through customs, right? And this was me. If that, I'm just going to go straight through customs. I ain't declaring this. (laughs) I don't give a shit. Blah, 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 blah. And then a cameraman told me, no, 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 you have to declare it because it's worth $20,000 and the company puts up $10,000 and you only get that 10 grand back when you present it, when you come back. Like you have to get it stamped. Right, okay. Right? And so – I kind of – I didn't know how it was all working and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't want to have to pull it out. So I just decided I was going to create a scene at Customs <laughs> so that they just thought I was so crazy. Yes. They would just let me through, right? So then there's <laughs> – so I'm – because I was annoyed that I had to present stuff at Customs, right? But I also had tea in my bag and I was like, oh, my now I'm going to have to declare the tea. It wasn't dodgy tea. It was legitimate Lipton tea. Like, but you can get that here. So why no, did you? you can't because they discontinued vanilla tea in Australia. It's, oh, it's the no. vanilla. Yeah, let me tell you. And you can't get it anywhere else no. except London. T2, Melbourne breakfast. Yeah, I have that. Oh, it's the best. Don't try to tell me about that vanilla tea. That's got it in now. I know. It's my special. That's my three Melbourne tea. breakfast is my favourite tea. You're kidding. That is my favourite. It's favorite. my favourite. What? I have it. Did we just in become bulk. best friends? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yay. <laughs> but what got me onto Melbourne breakfast was the original Lipton vanilla tea. Oh, I've And then they discontinued that. it, madly searching for something. And then I found Melbourne breakfast, which I love. Oh, um, it's expensive. It is expensive. I didn't look at the price the first time I bought it. I just was so excited Correct. it was there in it's the supermarket. It's amazing. But it's like 14 bucks. A so then box. I buy, I saw this Lipton tea in England. So I was like, oh, I'm going to have to declare this now. And to all, on, I wasn't going to declare it. It's Lipton tea. There's no bugs in it. It's not 
yeah. ruining crops. Was it sealed, packaged? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but then I've got to declare the freaking work thing. So oh. I have to declare the tea as well because yeah. I didn't want to end up on our own – I didn't want to end up on Border Force. Shit, I love Border Force. Yeah. I watch that show 24-7. Like <laughs> I, I look it up on Foxtel and watch – I watched it last oh, night. Oh, pause it and go, guilty or not guilty? Yeah, I love yeah. it. Smuggling, not smuggling. So I'm yep. in customs, right? And I'm at, oh, there's an Asian man there. He's got just food in his suitcase. Like mm-hmm. I can see them pulling out all sorts of food. There's another man there. He no clothes, just food in his. And oh, is I'm he naked. No, just in his suitcase. Oh, like, I don't know. They, they, they've only come with the clothes on their backs. Their entire suitcases are filled with shit. You're not allowed to bring into this country. And there's me <laughs> with this electrical box. Yes, and I'm like this. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I've just got this form. I've just got to get it signed. I actually don't give a shit if you keep it. You can keep it. I'll get someone from work to come and get it. I don't care. You can do it. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to count all the cords and we need to pull it apart. And I was like, oh, well, you want me to tell you something even more terrifying? I didn't pack this. How's that for your custom situation? (laughs) I didn't pack this bag. I don't even know how it opens. I think, do you know what it is? It's a satellite Truck in a box, satellite truck in a box. That's me <laughs> losing it after this twenty-three hour flight, and I'm and getting coming sick. Down with I'm getting sick. I'm on all sort of pseudoephedrine yeah. stuff, and I'm like, I don't care. Blah. And they're like, okay, well, your name's not on this document. It's meant to be on this document. I'm like, oh. I know, because I didn't bring it out of the country, but I'm bringing it back. Like, oh, I'm a, being treated like a drug smuggler. Anyway, so then <laughs> all this stuff, and it's taking me forever. And I know Nico's out there, bloody waiting for me, and. Oh, anyway. Did he come and pick you up? Yes, he did. The sweet hey, man. You, can I you know. hurry up and marry him? I know. Hurry He's up. so good to me. I can't wow. even tell you how good to me he is. Um, and then they got. They literally got to the point where they were like, "Mate, just let her go. Like, just, <laughs> just, just let her go." And good. then they were like, "Do you have a business card? Because I think I had no makeup on. I looked horrific." And they're like, "Is she on TV?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, here's my bloody business card." Like. Ugh. And then they go, oh, you've ticked something about, like after all this, you've ticked something about tea here. And I was like, don't you fucking, I'm not pulling apart the other suitcase to show you the Lipton tea. And I go, it's Lipton. It's in sealed. And they were like, you can go. Just go through. Yeah. Yeah. I was a maniac. I know. Yeah. (laughs) I was a real maniac about it. What if they were secretly filming and you were were on Border Force Could have been on. Yeah, I know. Celebrity (sighs) knocked down at airports. Meanwhile, old mate's over there pulling out sausages and entire (laughs) lambs out of his thing. I never understand. They bring in things like potatoes. I'm thinking, we have potatoes here. He was pulling out meat, like full on meat out of his bag. I don't know. Stop it. And like, they were just like meat and sausages and all this stuff. And I was like, here I am having to declare my tea and You've got five cows in your bag. Well, I'll just give you one more airport thing before we get on to the actual topic topic of the dead body thing. Um, We were sitting waiting to board an international flight. So we'd gone through all the customs and everything and waiting to fly to America. This is me and Bonnie. We look across and there's a lady there with a takeaway container with hard-boiled eggs in yeah, it. Yeah, perfect. And she was feeding them to her family. Please get on the flight and fart them all but out while we're, have... while we're all breathing yeah. the same recycled air, and you absolute you're going asshole. to be bound up the whole flight. I don't yep. want to sit near you. You're going to be yep. constipated and have a stomachache. Yeah. And how I'm did you manage to get them through customs People lose their mind. One last plane story. Okay. I'm travelling on my own, right? So I'm on my own. It's like I'm travelling with someone that I have to sit next to, blah, 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 blah. 
I can see before we're taking off, there's a bit of a commotion because there's this family of four, so mum, dad, two quite young kids, and they've been separated. Like they're not all in a row of four. Mm. So mum is with the two younger kids who are like under five and right. they're you know staring down the barrel of a 13-hour flight and they just need the one seat. And I see the air hostess go up to the woman who's in that seat and say, oh, I'm so sorry, just wondering, like there's a family who's been separated. Would you mind moving your seat? And she says, no. <gasps> And I was like, oh, shit, you did not just say no. You did oh, not just say no. Yeah. She was like, no. Oh. Her defiance was like, I was like, oh, you really just said no. And then the air hostess was like, and you can tell what the air hostess is thinking. She's like, F you. Like, she was like, yeah. no worries. I'll just see what else I can do. So she comes past my chair and I tapped her and she was like, look, she looked at me like, don't you ask me for a drink right now because I've got <laughs> shit on my plate. And I was like, oh, I'll swap with like oh my God, the, the lady that doesn't. The angel no, I said I'll swap. Yeah. So she can, that lady that doesn't want to move, and that's how I described her, that lady that doesn't want to move. <laughs> Loudly. Loud? Yeah, she could hear me. Good. I yep. said she can sit in my chair. Yep. Then the dad can sit in her chair and I'll just go wherever you want because yep. I'm on my own. Oh, good girl. And she was like, oh, okay, thank you. But just like, why wouldn't she just move? Yeah. Like, just don't be the asshole. And then I got yep. to go up to the upper deck, which only had like 20 economy people in there. Yes. And I was living my best life up there. That is such yeah. a good outcome. I'm happy with that. That's karma, <sighs> working in a good way. There are so many. Just send us your airport stories. We probably won't put them on the on the podcast because <laughs> there's nothing. Well, but my I love story them. is a branch out story today. Is it? Anyway, well, it's got dead bodies in it. But anyway, we'll get to it. Okay. You, you go first. I'll go first. So okay. this is a story that was... We got feedback on it. You were about to read the feedback, and mm. then I lost my mind because I'm kind of a, I was obsessed with oh, the story. Going, I know it. I know, I know it, it. I know it. I yeah, know it. in a really annoying way. That was sorry. Such a it was. I know it. I know and it. you kept <laughs> going. Okay, I'll just read the feedback, and I was like, Now I know Settle it. The fuck down. Yeah, Jarnel. I know. I couldn't stop. So the story is about Chris Watts, and it is a terrible story, but the events around it are quite extraordinary. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Your tea. Oh, we brought the I'm tea back laughing. into it. I sipped and it went into my throat, oh, which is a bit sore. Happens. Sorry, hang on, I'll cough. I'll turn my microphone off and cough. Okay. <coughs> very Kirsten, Kirsten, very, edit it and make me sound ladylike, please. Very good Thank of you, you to turn that off. Okay, so we're going to North Carolina in August of 2018 for this story. So it's kind of recent. Just last year. And we're going to meet a family called the Watts family. There's the father. What? What? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Gotcha. So the dad is Chris Watts. Um, his wife is, I'm going to say her name wrong. I know I'm going to trip over it because it looks like Shannon, but I think it's Shannon. How's she spelling it? S H A N A N. I believe it's Shannon or Shannon. I'd say Shannon. Yeah, it's not Shannon. It's not Shannon? I know it's not because look, I put a little thing up here to remind myself how to say it because it's not Shannon. Shannon. Okay. Um, and they had two daughters, one called Bella and one called Celeste, mm-hmm. who are four and three years old. Pretty names. Yeah, Bella and Celeste. Chris worked for a petroleum company and Shanann worked in a marketing company. I don't want to say her name wrong and be disrespectful, but I'm going to know I'm going to trip over it, the whole story. So they lived in a five-bedroom home, very much like an all-American family. Mm-hmm. Um, she was pregnant with the couple's third child. Mm-hmm. Yep, all going well. Yeah. On August 13, 2018, a friend of Shanann's called Nicole dropped her home from the airport. Air- 
from the airport. How they, excited were you to come across a plane name that's, that can't oh, really be stuffed up Get at me all. Nicole immediately. Mm. Um, the two of them had been away on a work trip. Mm-hmm. On the work trip, um, Shanann had been unwell and she was going home and she told her friend Nicole that she had a doctor's appointment, but she never turned up for the doctor's appointment. Oh, so her friend Nicole, obviously knowing she'd been unwell on this work trip, became worried that she didn't turn up for the doctor's appointment. She went to her house and she wasn't answering the front door. No one was answering the front door. So the friend calls police. Now we've got some audio here from the officer's body camera from when he turned up at the house and met the friend Nicole. So the male is the police officer, the female is the friend Nicole. So my friend, um, we were out of town for a business trip this weekend. And I dropped her off at two o'clock this morning. She's 15 weeks pregnant. She wasn't feeling well. And she had a doctor's appointment this morning at nine and I told her to let me know if she needed me to take her. She's got two little girls. And um, she was very distraught over the weekend, wasn't eating normally or drinking, and we kept trying to force it on her because she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband and her supposedly are separating, but she didn't know this. She thought they were just having issues. He disclosed that to me today. Because okay. I called him and I was like, have you talked or heard from Shanann since she left for work this morning? Because I can't get a hold of her. I called, I texted. Her car's in the garage. Her shoes she wears every single day right in the front door. She only has one vehicle? No, they only have the one vehicle and a work truck. Okay, that's what I'm asking. There's not a girl that went on a play date, but they're four and two. She went on a play date. Why wouldn't she take in a car? They're both in the car seats. Okay, so at this point, the the. You can look up all this vision online. It's incredible. The, the police officer is kind of walking around the house, the outside of the house. He's looking through the window and you can kind of see what he's seeing because the body camera is pushed up against the window. So you can see the house is empty. Mm. It looks quite normal. And eventually Chris, the husband, turns up and he allows the police officer to search the house with, the, with Nicole. They find her bag, her phone, as well as her car keys. Uh-oh. Her car is still at the house. The kids' car seats are inside, which is something I wouldn't think about. But obviously, if she was going to go somewhere in another car, she'd have to put the car seats in yeah. another car. So they yep. noted that those car seats were still there and the children are missing. Now, the media attention just immediately builds because you're talking about a missing woman and two young children Mm. who have just vanished. The next day, the FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation have joined the local police investigation, and they're all looking for this woman and the two children. Chris, at this point, is distraught over the fact that his children are missing, and he puts out desperate pleas through the media. And you heard they had a bit of marital problems and you know he's disclosed to this friend that they're going to separate um but by august 15 his entire family has been missing for two days we've got a little bit of audio you think she just took off do you think i I mean right now i don't even want to just like throw anything out there like i hope that she's somewhere safe right now and with the kids but i mean could she event could she just taken off i don't know but if somebody has her and they're not safe like I want them back now like that that that's what's in my head like if they're safe right now they're going to come back but if they're not safe right now that's what that's the not knowing part like if they're not safe last night I was had every light in the house on I was hoping that I would just get just ran over by the kids running in the door and just like barrel rushing me but it didn't happen and it was just a traumatic night trying to be here 
vaguely familiar about this, but I'm not sure. Okay. So throughout that interview, Chris Watts does not cry. He's composed. He mentions that he tried to call Shanann three times and he'd sent her three text messages. Mm. I feel like I'm calling more than that, but... Anyway, three calls, three text messages. Mm -hmm. At the end of the interview, he makes this final plea. There's a little bit more audio here. Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just, just just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete with without anybody here. Please bring her back. So at this point, Chris is giving these interviews to pretty much anyone that's turning up at the house. He's... I don't find that unusual, though. Like, I, no. If it was someone missing in my family, I would be wanting every media outlet yeah, to absolutely. cover it and, and talk about it's it. It's interesting because I just did an interview with a student journalist the other day and she was saying, you know, what's the hardest part of your job? And I was saying the hardest part, without a doubt, is rolling up on someone's doorstep when mm. they're in a situation like this and asking if they want to talk. And it's what we get the most hate for because people go, oh, you're harassing them, blah, 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 yeah. when they don't want to talk. Yeah. But then you never know if they want to talk. Yes. Um, yeah. So the only way you know is if you knock, which can often be the most awful thing to do, but Did you, see you never know. That, sorry, there was a crime scene, a local crime scene just recently. I can't think what it was. There'd been some incident and the woman in the house, because uh, a friend of mine, a journo at the paper, yeah. had gone there and the woman was demanding that the journos on the doorstep uh, pay her $1,000 per question. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll all just get our, our bags of money out to, to help you out. <laughs> so at this point, he's literally doing rolling interviews, asking for whoever has them to let them go or, mm. you know. But he's also hauled in by police. Mm-hmm. He's asked to do a polygraph test and he fails. Uh, a polygraph's that definitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. After failing the test, um, he confesses to his father who enters the sort of interview room in a in a break that he's killed Shanann. Oh. By August 21, he was charged with five counts of first degree murder, an additional one count for each child for the death of a child who had not yet attained 12 years of age. Hang on, hang on. Why five counts? The Shanann? So there's the three. The two girls? Yep. And then the he gets an. child? No, so he gets three charges of murder. Yeah. And then two additional counts of death of a child who had not yet attained who hadn't reached 12 years of age, and the accused was in a position of trust. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's an unusual charge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they, they, they're sort of questioning the unlawful termination of a pregnancy because she was pregnant with, the third, um, with their third child. Mm. Now, as to how this all happened, prosecutors say they didn't ever expect to be told the truth about what had happened by Chris Watts himself. And in his interview, he said to police that he killed Shanann because she had attacked him and that she was going to hurt the children. So that's why he killed her. Um, There is some audio here, um, which is from prosecutors. We know that he slowly took her life the morning of August 13th. We know that this was not done in an uncontrolled, vengeful manner that he tried to describe to agents from CBI and the FBI. If that were the case, you would expect to see vicious, horrible bruising 
about her neck, shoulders, and face. You would expect to see the hyoid bone in her neck broken. You would expect to see some kind of defensive wounds on his body as she struggled and fought for her own life. None of those are present. The only injuries that were on Shanann's body were one set of finger uh, or bruising, what appeared to be fingernail or finger mark bruising to the right side of her neck. We know that our experts will tell us that it takes two to four minutes to strangle someone to death manually with their own hands. The horror that she felt is the man that she loved wrapped his hands around her throat and choked the life out of her must have been unimaginable. Even worse, what must Bella, age four, and Celeste, age three, must have experienced or thought is their father, the one man on this planet who was supposed to nurture and protect them, was snuffing out their lives. They both died from smothering. Let me say that again. The man seated to my right smothered his daughters. Why? Imagine the horror in Bella's mind as her father took her last, last breaths away. Your Honor, understand very clearly, Bella fought back for her life. The frenulum, the connective tissue between her upper lip and her gum had an inch and a half, excuse me, a centimeter and a half laceration. She bit her tongue multiple times before she died. She fought back for her life as her father smothered her. Celeste had no such injuries. In fact, she had no external injuries at all. But according to the medical examiner, she was smothered nonetheless. So I will take you through what happened after he killed them. Mm. Um, but the thing that struck me in that mm. is to to strangle someone two to four minutes. That's doesn't yeah. sound like much. That's a, long, a long, time long time to hold someone. To I think oh. the average song is about three three minutes. Yep. So imagine for an entire song, yeah. the length of a song, yeah. it's not like shooting someone where it's instant. Yeah. You really have it, it's, you have to be committed. What are you thinking about while Correct. that's happening? It's a and really then, long time. And then to move on to the next person, yep. your own child. Yep. <gasps> Unbelievable. Now, I want to take you back. And I said I'll go through exactly what happened Um and what he did after he killed them. But I just want to take you back to the interviews he was doing on his doorstep. Yeah. Um, I won't say why, but we'll just take a listen to this and then I'll explain after. Just listen to the way he speaks. It's like a nightmare that I just can't wake up from. Bella was going to start kindergarten next next Monday and they, they were just getting ready to start, start back again. Can I say something that jumps out at me from that at yeah. the beginning? Because mm-hmm. the, they were still missing at that mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. He referred to Bella in the past Correct. tense. Bella Correct. was going to start Correct. <gasps> Throughout the interview, he refers to Bella only in the past tense. Yeah. And Bella fought back. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So it was actually because I became obsessed. I was watching heaps of interviews about this and, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but someone picked up the fact that throughout the interviews that he did with TV crews, he constantly spoke about Bella in the past tense. Mm. Everyone else, so his wife and Celeste, he was able to say is, 
is doing this, is about to do that. But Bella, he constantly spoke about her Mm. like she was dead. And I just found that really interesting because Bella is the one who had scratches on her and she was, you know, she really tried to to fight back. So I wonder if that stuck with him as a real moment that she was gone because it was so hard to kill her. Now, um, I mentioned at the start that... Uh, Chris worked for a petroleum company. Mm-hmm. He uh, put Shanann, Bella and Celeste in his car. He drove them to the petroleum site. Um, he pushed Bella into an oil tank. Oh, my God. Oh my. She had scratches on her body from being pushed through the top of the tank because he yeah. had to really stuff her in to get her down. He told police that her tank seemed emptier than Celeste's. He also put Celeste in a tank because the sound of their bodies was different when he heard them splash into the oil oh. below. Mm. Um, Shanann... Uh, I don't have not written it here for some reason, but I believe she was buried. He buried mm. her. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Why would you do this? Did he have to lift the girls up to the yeah. top of a tank to maybe he couldn't lift her? No, but why would he kill his entire family? Oh, yeah. Because he'd found another woman. <gasps> oh, my God, you fucking ass. He'd spent hours texting his girlfriend and while Shanann was away trying to fix their marriage, the whole time she was away on that work trip, she was reading self-help books, constantly trying to reconnect with Chris. He was researching secluded getaways where he could take his girlfriend and looking up jewellery he could buy for her. Wow. The day after he killed his family, he was texting his girlfriend about their future. He had called an agent to inquire about selling his house. and He'd also called uh, the girls' schools to tell their teachers they would need to be unenrolled. Um, this is what his lawyer had to say before he was sentenced. Good morning, Your Honor. Mr. Watts has asked us to share this morning that he is devastated by all of this. And although he understands that words are hollow at this point, he is sincerely sorry for all of this. What do you think about that? Mm. Sincerely sorry, and he's devastated by all of this. I don't think so. I think he's Mm. sorry for himself. Now, he was given a life sentence for the murder of Shanann with no parole. For Bella, he was given a life sentence with no parole. For Celeste, he was given a life sentence with no parole. For charges uh, four and five, being a parent killing your child, mm-hmm. he was given life. And for the um, baby, the unborn baby, he was given the maximum sentence possible, which was 48 years. He was also charged with tampering with the bodies, and he was given the maximum of 12 years each. Now, uh, there is so much audio in this story, it's unbelievable, and I think you said it quite well. It's because it's it's happened last year, yeah. and there's yep. body cams and all this sort of stuff, and we often, um, I guess when we finish stories, give our last kind of word on the story, but... Um, for this story, I wanted to leave you with this little bit of audio, um, which is the last word of the story, which comes from Shanann herself. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how low you feel, know that deep down, like in your heart, that there's a purpose, there's a reason for everything. We may not understand it at the time. Hmm. So they're sort of auto audio diaries that she had recorded and things that she'd recorded before she died. And Mm. I just thought 
it's we never hear from people that we talk about that have died yeah. and it's just to hear her voice she was such a hopeful person and she had hope for her marriage and she was trying to fix things and she was a religious woman and but we, we've said this before on this podcast that, that if, if just relationships leave. end, just leave. marriages end, yeah. yeah. So if you're going to have an affair, you yeah. know, I'm not going to judge anyone else what they do, but don't kill the person, just yeah. go. But your children. Yeah. Incredible. It's Those it's, little girls. Is that a sociopath? We're so, sociopath yeah. when all they can think about is themselves and what they want. Correct. They don't care who or what stands yeah. in their way. Well, Chris Watts is his name. They are the Watts family. There's so much you can watch on them about them online. Dr. Phil's done entire sort of episodes about him mm. and just how you know calm and calculated and together he was and – Killed his entire family and is giving rolling interviews. Well, he'll never see the light of day again, will he? Never, ever again. Mm. Never, ever again. Uh, I also have an American story. Now, this one, it's slightly, it's got dead bodies in it. Okay. It's slightly different f- f- than, than ones we told, but okay. it'll make sense here. But it's because, um, two, two reasons. One is it has an effect on something that happens in our lives every day. Okay. Um, but I was watching a um, – I'd recorded a show called America in Colour, which is oh. fantastic. It was on Foxtel where they've gone back over all these old black and white movies and they've colourised them. And it's just amazing how the people look more amazing. alive. But it was a little story that came up on that and I thought, I've never heard that. It's this awful disaster that happened oh. in America and I'd never heard about it. So I'm going to tell you about what happened in 1937. So in America, that was the middle of the Great Depression. So sure. people were struggling all over the country. But in Rusk County, in East Texas, oil had been found. There were oil wells being sunk everywhere. Obviously, the money that goes with that. And so the town of London had become one of the richest in the country. So poor families all rushed to the area to find work on the oil fields. The local economy in that area was thriving and new schools were being built for all the new families and the kids in the area. And this particular school was built. It was called the London School huge structure of steel and concrete. It cost at the time, so 1937, a million dollars, which today would be closer to 20 million. Yeah, Yeah. huge money. Yeah, I'm so proud of it. Its football stadium was the first to have electric lights, which was a big thing at the time. So parents are really proud to send their children to this particular school. It was built on a sloping piece of ground, Mm -hmm. so... Underneath one side of it yep. was quite a large empty space underneath. Got you. And the frontage of the building was, I think it was, they said it was 77 metres long. So there was this long empty space under the building, 77 metres long. Um, the original architect of the building had included plans for a boiler and steam heating system, which is, I've got that in my old house. It's yeah. a hydronic heating if you've got that at home. Um, but instead of that, the school board decided to install 72 gas heaters and the school board did have a contract with a natural gas company but they cancelled that and what they did was they had plumbers install a tap line into Parade Gasoline Company's residue gas line to save money. Now what that was, a lot of people were doing it at the time, was because when they extracted oil, the gas, the natural gas is a byproduct of that. And at the time right. they weren't harnessing it and selling it. It was just flared off. Yeah. You know? And so um, there was no value to them to 
the natural gas. And so pe- people were tapping into these lines and using the gas. The problem with that being that its quality would fluctuate throughout the day. Okay. Even within an hour, it could be different. Um, and untreated natural gas has no smell or colour. No, correct. So you can't tell if there's a leak. Yeah. What nobody knew was that the gas had been leaking from the residue line tap and had built up inside that gap underneath the building. Some of the kids had been complaining of headaches, but no one had really paid much attention to it. So on March the 18th, 1937, it was a Thursday, in the afternoon they had let grades one to four. So the littlies had gone home early. Sure. There was a Parents and Teachers Association PDA meeting they always have PDAs, PDA meetings. They? PDA meeting yep. in the gymnasium, which was a slightly separate building. I think okay. it was 100 metres or so away. In the actual school building, there were five, around about 500 students and 40 teachers. At 3.17pm, a teacher turned on an electric sander and the sander switch caused a spark that ignited the gas that had been leaking into the school. Ooh. So people who saw the explosion yeah. say that the walls of the school bulged, yeah. that the roof lifted off and then crashed back down and the main wing of the building collapsed. They say the force was so great that a two-ton concrete block was thrown 70 metres or 200 wow. feet and crushed a car that was parked nearby. The blast was heard four miles away, which is about six and a half kilometres. Okay. So parents uh, from the PTA meeting and residents nearby, they all ran in, started digging through the rubble with their bare hands. The workers all raced in from the oil oil fields. I think they said there was a couple of thousand of them eventually came in from the oil fields. They brought cutting torches and heavy equipment to try and clear away the concrete and steel. Um, the media eventually heard and reporters arrived. And just as a little side note, one of the reporters that came that came, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, a young Walter Cronkite, oh, very famous name yep. in the news. It was one of his first ever stories. And he, um, even though in his career he went on to cover World War II and the Nuremberg trials, decades later he said that nothing could have prepared for him for a story yeah. of the magnitude of the new London tragedy, nor has any story since that yep. awful day equaled it. So the estimates of the number of dead vary from two hundred between 296 wow. and 319. It could be much higher because a lot of the residents of New London at the time were transient. Yeah, A lot right. of people came and just took the bodies of their, their babies, their children. And left. And took them home and buried them. So nobody knew the exact number that, that had died. Um, most of those who died were from grades 5 through 11. So they would have mm. been, I would think, around 9 or 10 years old up to early teen age. Uh, most of the bodies were either burned beyond recognition or blown to pieces and were identified by clothing or personal items. And we've learned before of things we've spoken about. That's yeah. so unreliable, isn't it? Um, so they had to convert a lot of buildings in the neighbouring communities to first aid tents and morgues. morgues, an enormous number of bodies. One student who survived said that in the morgue they saw fathers fight over dead children like dogs over a bone, oh. yelling, that's mine, no, mine. I saw children who looked like roadkill. You couldn't tell if it was a boy, girl or what. Mm. So they brought fingerprinting experts in to help with the IDs and there'd been a something called the Texas Centennial Exposition 
in um, close by the previous summer, and mm. a lot of people had had their fingerprints done oh, just as a you know fun a fun thing. thing. To do. I was yeah. literally about to say, how would you ID children of fingerprints? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because they'd all sense. sort of it must have been a stand saying this is how yeah. we do it. So that was back in 1937. In 2017, on the 70th anniversary of the explosion, TexasMonthly.com, it's an extraordinary article. They Mm. tracked down a number of the survivors and asked them to share their memories of the day. So I just wanted to share a few of them. And just stop me if it goes on too long. I started reading them. I couldn't Couldn't stop. stop. Couldn't stop. Reba Mosley said that she and her friends had been complaining that morning that their eyes were stinging, oh. but nobody paid any attention. W.G. Bud Watson, he was doing some welding in the room where the teacher was using the sander that sparked the right. thing. He said all he remembered was picking himself up outside the building. I don't remember flying out the window, but the <gasps> building was still coming down. <gasps> William Follis was sitting at the back of his class and his teacher had called him up to the front of the class. He must have done something wrong and he was arguing. And he started walking towards her and in his words he said, a blast came across straight horizontal. All these steel lockers that had been embedded in the wall blew kids out of their seats and fell on top of us. Um, Margaret Nichols had a headache and she'd gone out to her uncle's car to lie down in the back seat. She was asleep when a boulder came through the front windshield. Whoa. Nathan Durham was in the library reading Moby Dick when a concrete girder came crashing reading down. Reading Moby Dick. I know. It was just all those little things. Yeah. I thought it, just, it, it was a school. Yeah. Being a school. He thankfully survived. Uh, Billy Matthews had been shielded by a desk, but it was covered with concrete boulders, and she said a boy was screaming, my legs cut off. Oh. Maxine Lawson says all the people in the front of her room were killed. The girl reading the book report, the teacher, she said, I guess the wall fell on top of them. Dorothy Box was yelling to her friend Pearl, who'd been standing to her left. You don't get many pearls Pearl. these days, do you? Um, but Pearl didn't answer. She said, I didn't know at the time she had cement dust in her mouth. So by the sounds oh. of a lot of the kids had so much dust and cement that their hair had turned white from it. Uh, Amos S. Etheridge said his brother jumped out a second story window. A girl had got caught in some glass and died, so he was careful not to touch the glass. Martha Peggy Melton says she thought they had been bombed by Hitler. Oh, it's 37. Of course, mm. the time. Uh, she saw children jumping out the windows. One was hanging there and bleeding to death. They all must have thought it was a bomb at the time. Yeah. Because you wouldn't go towards it or look at it and think, mm. oh, that's the gas. A lot of them talked about not realising what was going on and then just the silence. Yeah. And even in the rescue hours, people didn't speak. Just yeah. this quiet and then just looking and trying to make sense of And nothing looked right because, you know, a little red-headed kid had white hair. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Marion Steen, oh, here we are, I remember seeing a red-headed girl whose hair had turned the colour of cement. She was lying outside. The people I saw were dead. I was walking around and realised I still had a pencil in my hand and I remember thinking, oh. what am I doing with my pencil? Lucy Wells said when she got out, she saw a body in a black suit, a teacher. He looked like a big doll that someone had dropped on the floor and was asleep. Then my brain began to work a little. I could see the building was gone. I knew that the body in front of me was dead, but it was all like a dream. Betty McBride said that when she came out of the building, she saw a playmate's body almost covered in concrete with a popsicle still in her mouth. 
I went around a car that was upside down with the wheels spinning wildly. It's like in a movie they do yeah. that and you think, oh, yeah, right, as Extra if. Extra effect. Yeah. When I got to the front of what had been the school building, I saw a man crying and holding a little girl's body. <sighs> I saw what looked like the child's brain, which had fallen out the back of her head. H.G. White said, once I got out, I walked over to a water fountain to wash off a cut above my left ear. An older boy walked up with deep cuts on his face. A teacher threw some water on him and he fell down and expired right there. Oh. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, Max Holliman, I went down the stairway to where my sister's room would have been. Imagine that, trying to find your brother or sister. Excruciating. Uh, And there was a child who was breathing his last breath in the stairwell. Uh, Nathan Durham said, I worked my way over to the study hall and kids were streaming out down the stairs. Out the window, I could see a good friend rolling over and over on the ground. Charles Dial remembers the oil field workers picking up the dead children and lining them up against a fence. Mm. Ambulances and cars began picking them up and taking them to hospitals and the temporary morgues. William Follis started helping the rescue workers dig kids out. There were three little girls he saw wedged together. They had mortar dust caked in their eyes and their noses and their mouths, and he knew them. One looked up and said, save me. 30 or 40 men were trying to dig them out completely. He says, I watched them die. Later on outside, I spotted one of my best friends who was still alive, but it looked like someone had split his brains open with a hatchet. Everyone was working just like they were in a daze. Nobody said anything. Molly Ward got home on the bus and there were about eight mothers at the bus stop. They started screaming, have you seen Geneva? Have you seen Brenda? Mm. My mother came out and started hugging and kissing me. She carried me into the house because the mothers kept screaming. Six of them had lost their children. Frank Van Assen said, my throat throat was so dry from the dust, I tried to get across the street to a lunch place where I thought I could get a drink, but the ambulances and cars were racing across so fast I couldn't get there. I sat down beside a car and leaned against a tyre and watched the bakery and cattle trucks unload so they could help uh, carry children to hospitals and morgues. It seemed like I sat there for an eternity. My dad had been looking for me in the room where I had a class and I found a girl, uh, sorry, his dad found a girl with a foot hanging off who was wearing a dress that was similar to mine. But he noticed that she had on patent leather shoes and he knew mine were lace-ups. Finally, someone told him where I was waiting. He said that every step he took toward me seemed like I was taking two away from him. You can imagine that, can't you? Yeah. Like he'd see her, but he just couldn't get to her fast enough. It's like the equivalent of a school shooting, isn't it? Like Mm. you send your children to school and you think they're going to be okay and then you hear this and you're looking at, Every child just going, is it my child coming out? Is it my child? It's one of the most, um, one of the things that you, you have to do, and you always see mothers on the first day of school weeping and because you are handing your child over to yeah, someone that you don't really know a precious in this life. place that you don't really know. Yeah. That first day of school is really hard. Yeah. You're trusting them. Shall I do some more? Sure. You can edit that. There's lots lots of them, but um, just stop me. Just like give me a signal mm. if it's like too many. Um. Okay. Uh, Max Holliman said, my dad had found my sister. She was dead. He recognised her because the dress she was wearing and the socks she had on were material he had picked out for her 12th birthday, which she'd just had. Opal Hamill says a teacher laid her dead brother at her feet. He was 17. She says he was a beautiful boy. He was captain of the football team, co-captain of the basketball team. She sat down beside him. 
all he had was a little round hole in his forehead, like maybe a point of a nail had hit him. Mm. He always carried a handkerchief in his pocket, so I took it out and wiped the mortar dust off his face. I sat there too shocked to cry. Uh, Marjorie Kinney says there was one area by the fence for the dead and another for the injured. My friend's daddy picked her up and laid her with the ones who were dead, but she was only unconscious. I don't know how she got up. Lois Johnson's dad was helping with the rescue effort and one of the neighbours told him that she was dead. She says that when he came home and saw me, he nearly dropped dead himself. He said he wasn't surprised at all to hear I was dead, but more shocked to find out that I wasn't. Mm. H.G. White said most of the rubble was moved with bare hands, not machinery. A guy came came by with a truckload of peach baskets and the workers formed a line and passed the baskets filled with body parts and cement chunks. Nathan Durham said, My dad and I helped our neighbour put his injured daughter, Irma Hodges, in our car, and then we took off for the Henderson Hospital. Irma had been blown out with the main debris. I could tell her hip was broken because her legs were crooked, and she was unconscious, but she was breathing. She died in her father's lap on the rear seat of my dad's car. Uh, At a funeral home, the fire truck pulled up, loaded up with the bodies of kids. Some men took the children off and began stacking them along the hall. Mm. One girl said, sometime in the night a worker found a blackboard that had been on the wall and it read, oil and natural gas are East Texas's greatest mineral blessing, which they've kept. They've actually set up a museum, the London Museum, they call it there. Um, So messages started to get out. As I said, the media heard uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was the the president at the time, he issued a statement asking for the Red Cross and government agencies to help. Adolf Hitler sent a telegram paying his respects, which they still Mm. have on display in that London Museum. Um, One young guy, Bud Watson, he had been misidentified as one of the dead. And he said that night they were calling out his name on the radio, saying he was in the morgue, which he wasn't at the oh. time. Um, uh, his nose and face were caved in, he said. Um, Catherine Owen had her torn lip sewed up by a doctor, but she said, and these were her words because it was an unusual expression, she said, we didn't realise at the time that I'd been womper-jawed so badly on the inside that I'd never be able to have children. Oh. So the force of the explosion must Just have like done... Yeah, but they didn't know. her insides. Mm. Uh, one guy said he was in a, a room with several children they were treating. Uh, they had to make room for an unconscious boy who had jumped out of a window and suffered a broken neck. In the early part of the next morning, he died. Uh, one young guy said that he found his best buddy. His head was flat as a newspaper. That's when I lost it and I went home. Uh, Reba Mosley said, I knew what my sister had worn that day, a pretty red blouse, one I made in home economics class. In fact, I was upset Thursday morning when she came out of her bedroom wearing it. I said to her, you knew I worked on that and I was waiting to wear it this weekend. I didn't talk to her on the bus. That Thursday night, about dark, we started looking for her, driving through the cold and misting rain to the surrounding towns within a 12 um, mile radius we were looking for that red blouse it was the best way mm. to remember who she was um, one girl's father identified her sister's body her head was gone except for a few teeth up front but she had been in PE and her tennis shoes had her name on them and that's how he identified her about a month later my daddy had a nervous breakdown they used to call it that didn't they yeah PTSD these yeah. days looking at those mangled children just got the best of him Um, So, as an upshot of this, uh, within two weeks of the explosion, 
children and teachers returned to the school. They finished the school year in portables. They had no gas. Oh, Obviously, the line had been yeah. cut off, freezing cold. It was snowing and nobody spoke of the disaster. They say that these days, you know, if something happens, they send in psychologists, but yeah. they just didn't have that at the time. Uh, the prom went ahead. It was very sad. They said nobody danced because too many people had broken legs. Oh. They went ahead with graduation. Some students arrived in ambulances on stretchers. About 100 were supposed to graduate. They only had about 50 of them there. A new school was built. It was completed a couple of years later, directly behind the destroyed building. A lawsuit was brought against the school district and the Parade Gasoline Company, but the court ruled that neither could be held responsible. Uh, It was determined that the connection to the residue gas line was faulty. But here's the upshot of it, which affects us today in our everyday lives. A law was introduced that THIOLS, T-H-I-O-L-S, and then they've got in brackets mercaptans, whatever that is, be added to natural gas. So the strong smell that we smell, that rotten egg smell, yeah, uh, that makes leaks quickly detectable because yeah. nobody can smell and them. And I do yeah. that sometimes. I go, I can smell gas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a distinctive smell, yeah. isn't it? So they, yeah, have to, yeah. they add that into natural gas. Right. And that then spread worldwide after this particular disaster. So if you do ever go and visit that area again, there's a large granite cenotaph um, on the median of the Texas State Highway 42, just across from the school site. That was put up in 1939 and that commemorates the disaster. There's a number of documentaries and books and yeah. things that have been written about it. But I had never heard of it. No. Such an enormous loss of life and, and something that, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the worst disasters in American history. And it's I'd so interesting what people do in that moment. When they, It struck me when you said, you know, people were moving a lot of the debris with their hands, like they just ran towards it and started mm. helping. Like yeah. there was mm, awful. Yeah. Now, I think for feedback, we should make Kirsten. Um, yes, this is the part of the show where it's like when you make celebrities read their tweets about them. But yeah. it's Kirsten oh. reading feedback about herself. It makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, like, I love that you're so uncomfortable. Oh. I love it. <laughs> I just like, I, oh, God, I hate the sound of my own voice and I'm particularly husky today. No. Like birthday drinks on the weekend. Yes. Just to be, oh, yeah, happy birthday for happy the weekend, birthday, Kirsten. Kirsten. Go. All right, I have to check my levels because the last time I did this, I didn't do that. Oh, <laughs> and it was devastating. I know oh. I can't multitask. Oh, it was okay. the studio. Yeah, no, in and the way. In, so in the episode where Kirsten did it with me, because you did, you sounded tiny in the background, yeah. but it was because it's the stupid microphone. Do you want to come and use my mic? Um, maybe. Yep. Okay, we'll swap for a minute. Okay, come along. Um, what I like about this part is I don't have to wear headphones, so I just won't listen to my Just phone. read. <laughs> okay, fine. Your levels are good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some feedback on me for episode 62, which is our last, no, two episodes ago. Yes. It's from Sabrina, um, <gasps> Basmer and Sabrina, Yay! my favourite people. And it says, hey, girls, um, it's one half of Basmer and Sabrina. So it's from Sabrina. Yep. Uh, and I wanted to say that I loved hearing more of Kirsten on episode 62. Yay! Keep doing you. It's very sweet. Are you embarrassed? <laughs> yes. You're so embarrassed. You're so uncomfortable. Like, Your body oh language God. is amazing about how uncomfortable you are so doing this. It's awkward because it's not only am I reading stuff, which makes me uncomfortable. It's uh, complimentary. It's compliment. Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> awkward. Uh, this one's from Anthony. It says, hey, gals. Uh, I've been a listener since my good friend Kirsten posted on Anthony. Oh, do I know this guy? I know him. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because his name is Tony, so it's weird that he's okay, from Anthony. Anthony. Uh, Tony, um, it's Tony. Uh, I've been a listener since my good friend Kirsten posted on her Instagram that she was producing a new podcast, and as much as some people choose not to believe, I binged about five episodes Yay! in a row. 
Yes. I'm currently. They do. He does. They do. Tony does. They do. Um, he's such a good guy. Uh, I'm currently living in Toronto, um, but went to school with the amazing Kirsten, Yay. and people around town know her as Kiki. You which is even Kiki. Do they call you Kiki? <laughs> they call me Kiki, and it started from. Um, I love it's like that. This high school nickname that stuck around because it was at the time of the OC. Okay. And so do you remember there's a Kirsten on there? Yeah, so I, I do. Think that's how the Americans say Kirsten. Kirsten. Or Kirsten. Yeah. And her nickname on the show was Kiki. Kiki. And then it just stuck. I'm going to call you Kiki from now on. I yeah, like Kiki. Yeah. It's spreading. Yeah. It's It's got legs. Um, he says, listening to your show is a highlight of my week, but Aww. hearing Kiki's voice on an entire episode made my day. Now I miss home. Yay. Um, oh, God. This is so... Uh, I hate this part. She um, loses her voice even more with every compliment. <laughs> I was thrilled oh when I heard you were going to do the episode when I wasn't here. I was thrilled. So oh, oh, I can imagine. I can feel my throat. Like, hear it. You can hear it. Oh, God. I'm, ugh, I need water. I'm not even halfway through his email. Uh, <laughs> um, also, it's a little strange hearing Dee Dee's voice alongside a friend of mine because I've been hearing Dee Dee's voice since I was a kid yes. driving in the car with mum. Yes. I tell anyone who has a set of ears to listen to the show. Oh, thank you. And I would put myself in the top 2% of fans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm for it. I'll take that stat. Uh, while I'm here, I'll tell you about my dead bodies experience. I have seen possibly two dead bodies. This is news to me. Um, he says, one was my grandfather's in 04, which was a blessing more than anything as he wasn't well. Sure. Um, the other, and the reason I say possibly, is because in 2012, I saw an attempted suicide <gasps> on Racecourse Road at Newmarket train station. Wow. Um, it was in the middle of the day and I was having lunch in the work truck. I saw a man in his early 20s run past the truck and he seemed to be in a panic state. He then climbed up the garden bed towards the train tracks and was what? out of sight. What? Before I could register what was happening, the traffic came to a screeching halt in front of us. It looked like the young guy had jumped off the bridge headfirst into oh. the road below. <gasps> Myself and a work colleague ran over to the scene to assist. No. Uh, at the same time, two women with prams were walking past and they had stopped to help. No. Um, I didn't really get involved with tending to the man because I was busy trying to direct traffic away from the scene. Yeah. However, I looked over my shoulder and noticed he was not moving. There was so much blood pumping out of his face that you couldn't make any of his facial features. Oh my One of the women pulled out a nappy and placed it over his face. Oh. Um, once the ambulance arrived, we decided to leave. It is a picture I can't shake from my memory. Of course. Yeah. Awful. Uh, he said, I should have maybe tried to follow up with what happened, but I just didn't know how to go about it. Yeah. And being around the same age as the guy at the time, it kind of hit too close to home. Yeah. Also, as always, nice things, nice things. Oh, Anthony. Nice things, Tony. nice things. <laughs> Anthony slash Tony, thank oh, you. Thank you. How are you feeling, Kirst? My hands are sweaty. Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm crumpling this piece of paper. Well, it's just... We love it. We yeah. love you um, love making me for doing this. And if you want to write in any more nice things about Kiki, then please do <laughs> send us your dead body stories. Didi, I forgot that email. Can you say it? I'm coming around because I have a feeling when I was sitting around there, I think I, I was talking into a microphone that wasn't turned on. Um, the email that Shana never reads. I always reads. forget it. See, I can't do the sign-off because I don't know the email. You, you tell are you people. you even on Facebook? You should see our Facebook I'm page. Not it's on fantastic. Facebook. It's the best community of people. Oh. It's like... Yeah, and they send it. lovely messages. So there's the Facebook page or it's Dead Bodies Podcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at Dead Bodies Podcast at gmail.com.